Hello and welcome to the Hindus Parley where we try to get a 360 degree view of the issues at hand. This week we're discussing Sri Lanka's crisis both economic and political and with me is author former foreign secretary former high commissioner to Sri Lanka and China Nirupama Menon Rao also joining us today D Subarao is the former governor of the Reserve Bank of India and he's written about uh, the specific crisis in Sri Lanka thank you so much for joining us thank you Suhasini it's wonderful to be here thank you If I could start with asking you both it seems as if we have seen Sri Lanka grappling with its economy for years now practically from when they came out of the the war with the LTT uh, how predictable is the was the current crisis that really came to a head in April 2022 with the protests how much of it is really about the leadership of the Rajpa- Rajapaksas who are now both out of power if I could start with you ambassador Menon thank you Sarasini Uh, well that is a question that takes us really to the core of the problem it's both a question of uh, economic mismanagement over the years and you mentioned the civil war end of the civil war as a milestone in fact if you remember that year in 2009 they had to go to the imf uh, for uh, for help and support uh, over the years i believe there's been a kind of carpe diem approach generally to life as it were economic and political and social in sri lanka and successive governments i think can be charged with economic mismanagement fiscal and budgetary but in the case of the gotabaya rajapaksa presidency and as you know sri lanka has an executive presidency you can certainly implicate uh, the rajapaksa gotabaya rajapaksa government with a lot of missteps that actually uh, led the country to where it is now literally staring over the economic precipice uh, you had a uh, issue of lowering taxes you had the question of the organic fertilizers you had the covid pandemic which of course you cannot blame the rajapaksa government for but uh, it took away all the income that uh, sri lanka could have earned from tourism particularly their exports have been falling their ties to really mainly commodity exports over the years they did not diversify uh, their economy their business their industry they should have invited more foreign investment uh, all in all uh, what you see now is a perfect storm so both to answer your question both economic mismanagement over the years and also political malfeasance which you can lay at the door of the rajapaksas Mr Subarao so there has been an external affairs minister Jay Shankar actually laid out a full presentation uh, to an all party meeting speaking about the various parts uh, to this crisis uh, whether it was the unsustainable debt uh, whether it was the shortage of currency uh, the deterioration really in uh, remittances from abroad revenues from taxes that was another policy decision how much would you say this crisis was really predictable because of course the world has been watching all kinds of economies in trouble uh, due to the pandemic and now due to the russia ukraine war uh, but specifically how much was sri lanka's crisis in uh, predictable well nirupama said it's been a perfect storm on several years in the making and sri lanka's crisis today is a consequence of the green deficit problem unsustainable current account deficit and unsustainable fiscal deficit take the current account deficit on the external front there have been a lot of uh, reasons beyond sri lanka's control like you mentioned in yourself 
collapse of tourism earnings, starting with the Easter bombings, then the pandemic, a crash of remittances from migrant workers again because of the pandemic, a huge ballooning of the import bill because of the Russian war, uh, Russia Ukraine war on the spike in oil prices. So on the external front, it's been uh, a number of causes that have been long in the making, but also some proximate triggers. On the domestic front, the fiscal crisis is con- completely homemade. With the last parts of government gave it to unaffordable populism by cutting taxes. They cut the value-added tax by half, eliminated capital gains tax, ex- uh, got expenditure commitments on subsidies that they couldn't afford, so debt ballooned. So I would say, even though the external crisis is largely over or entirely because of uh, Sri Lanka's uh, mismanagement, the fiscal crisis is entirely because of Sri Lanka's mismanagement, and it's the combination that put to this crisis. As far as the responsibility of the last Pakistan's government is concerned, I think they're responsible for three specific things. One is, as I said, is unaffordable populism. The second is erratic economic management, for example, the abrupt shift to organic farming, uh, just to mention that. And the third, and importantly, not well recognized, is that they did not go to the IMF early enough. They had gone, let's say, six months ago. The crisis could have been avoided, not averted, but certainly the intensity would have been much less. Right. Um, and in fact, I do want to come to what Sri Lanka's future is going to look like. But I do want to look a little bit at the past at what the world could have done. Uh, as I said, the world was grappling with the post-COVID uh, economies, also uh, then with now with the Russian-Ukraine conflict as well, the inflation we've seen over the years, the downturns in economy. But very specifically, uh, uh, Mr. Subarao, Do you think what the world is doing today in terms of the IMF, in terms of what India has uh, provided by assistance and other countries are thinking about, could they have moved in sooner to try and help, at least with, say, the debt repayment deferrals, rather than wait for this crisis to have been reached? Uh, I don't believe so, because Sri Lanka's crisis was deep enough, so deep that no country by itself could have averted it. And if a country moved in by itself to solve the problem, they would have taken on more burden without actually solving the problem. A crisis like this requires IMF assistance, and other countries come on board in support of the IMF program. So to believe that other countries could have moved in and settled the problem on a bilateral basis or uh, prevented the crisis from blowing up, I think is uh, misleading. They should have gone to the IMF early enough so that other countries could have come on board. Take, for example, debt, bilateral debt that Sri Lanka owes to countries like Japan, China, India. Now, for them to reduce their debt or restructure their debt, they require an IMF program. So what countries can do bilaterally is to provide a bridge loan, which is what India had done. But uh, the structural solution has to come through the IMF. Uh, so I think what precipitated the crisis was the big tax holiday that Gotabaya gave soon after he assumed uh, the office. The balance of payments suffered uh, a great amount of pressure, on, especially on Sri Lanka's currency after COVID. Uh, they should have allowed the currency to depreciate, but in order to keep the 
currency at, at the level they wanted. They spent five to six billion dollars of precious foreign exchange to keep the currency afloat. And the advice by the governor of the central bank, Cabral, uh, was really a mix of hubris and incompetence, an unwillingness to go to the IMF. And of course, uh, President Gotabaya Rajapaksa knew nothing about the economy. They followed nationalist economic policies. They kept borrowing from the commercial market. They were not for seeking any assistance from the IMF. In fact, they came to India quite mysteriously at the end of last year, I think it was, asking India to reschedule debt repayment. And we had a portfolio of debt of under $1 billion. And we wondered why they, they were coming to us. It was quite a well-managed portfolio. And they said India is an important partner and that's why we are coming to India. It was all very difficult to comprehend. And negotiations were going on uh, on rescheduling our debt. And of course, Sri Lanka stalled uh, a lot and uh, we couldn't get anywhere uh, on that front. But of course, as uh, I said, our help has been unprecedented. No other country has really come to uh, Sri Lanka's rescue. Right. And just in terms of figures, uh, Sri Lanka's total uh, debt is about 34.6 billion uh, for external borrowings, of which about 10% is uh, debt to China. Uh, a little more is the debt to, uh, if you combine everybody else. Um, and then there is, of course, the largest chunk uh, of about a third, which is uh, really to uh, international uh, external borrowings uh, or, or at multilateral levels. If I could ask you then, Ms. Rao, how do you evaluate India's assistance to uh, um, uh, to Sri Lanka in the crisis? You said, of course, that they had come to us to restructure the, the loans. In fact, um, both uh, President Godabaya and Prime Minister Mahinda had come to India as soon as they had been elected. Uh, they visited India as their first visits abroad. They would uh, spoken to Prime Minister Modi in early 2020, so before the pandemic, uh, basically about the possibility of a debt repayment moratorium for a few years to deal with the economic crisis they already had, even pre-pandemic. Uh, there was really little movement on this. And absolutely, it seems as if Sri Lanka also had a refusal to see how bad the crisis was. The External Affairs Minister spoke about a lack of fiscal prudence, a lack of uh, awareness about their crisis. Uh, but do you think India's assistance to Sri Lanka, specifically $3.8 billion made up of lines of credit, made up of the debt restructuring, but also currency swap arrangements, do you think it was adequate and was it timely? Uh, well, I think India's help has been unprecedented, uh, Suhasini. The other countries, uh, if you just uh, survey uh, the situation, they've come up with very small amounts of humanitarian assistance at the very most. And of course, uh, you may argue that maybe countries like Japan could do more. And But if you uh, see the record of the Rajapaksa government in dealing with some of these countries, I think they were very, very cavalier and churlish in their treatment of Japan over the last few years, cancelling projects. And Japan has very much of a reason to be, uh, to be upset about the way the relationship with Sri Lanka has uh, developed over the last few years. But coming back to India's assistance, uh, you mentioned $3.8 billion, you know, the lines of credit, the currency swap, uh, and the deferring of payments under the Asian Clearing Union, uh, clearing the clearing mechanism for banks, for exports and for people in the trade uh, sector. So all that amounts to a great amount of help to Sri Lanka. And I believe the people of Sri Lanka acknowledge that. Very much so. And uh, India's help has come in terms of fuel, in terms of food, in terms of medicines, and especially fuel, because that is where the 
country is staggering at the moment. Uh, people are, you know, it's just, a, you know, floundering, I would say, because of uh, the shortages that they uh, face. Now, there is no option really but for Sri Lanka to go to the IMF. The question of other countries coming forward, I think, would be difficult to imagine uh, given the, the critical economic situation. And um, Sri Lanka's debt uh, has to be seen as more sustainable. China is not part of the Paris Club. China is not willing to really play ball on it. You mentioned 10% of uh, Sri Lanka's debt is held by Sri Lanka, but held by China. But I think that figure is very understated. There's much more of hidden sort of um, debt owed that Sri Lanka has to China, which we do not see on the surface. So uh, the Chinese want more control in Sri Lanka. They want an FTA. Uh, Chinese goods already flood the market. Sri Lanka and China has you know, been exporting a great deal to Sri Lanka. And there's no political appetite in Sri Lanka today for that kind of arrangement with Sri Lanka, with China. China wants concessions on arbitration according to their rules. They want Sri Lanka to take a lead among the Indian Ocean Island countries, of course, I suppose they want more political influence as far as that is concerned on Sri Lanka. So altogether, uh, China has not been of help. Uh, in uh, Sri Lanka has to go to the IMF. Our finance minister, Nirmala Sitaraman, at the spring meetings of the World Bank and IMF made a very strong case for Sri Lanka uh, to be really classified temporarily as a low-income country so that they could get assistance on a more emergency basis from the IMF and uh, on the lines of what has been provided to Ukraine. All that has not happened. They have not been able, Sri Lanka has not been able to reach a staff level agreement with the IMF, uh, with the team that was there in June. Uh, they have to legislate uh, decisions on the taxation and revenue side, but they don't really have, are, they're not able to move in parliament on that front, you know, the crisis on the political side. And, um, you know, the problem is the external debt, as Subha mentioned, he talked about bilateral, multilateral, and there's commercial debt. And domestic debt is also held to some extent in hard currency, and that has to be factored in also. The fundamental assessment on debt sustainability has not been reached with the IMF. Uh, very interesting points over there, particularly about China. In just comparison, China has given humanitarian assistance to Sri Lanka for about only $76 million and has actually stipulated that an FTA is required to go forward with some of the other financial assistance that Sri Lanka had asked for. It also has said that Sri Lanka must try to put its own house in order before it asks for help from outside. So, Mr. Subarao, how would you react to those questions? Was India's assistance adequate and timely, or was it too little too late? And how do, how do you evaluate China's role in this debt crisis? Yeah, on the first question about whether India's aid was adequate at time, you know, look, put yourself uh, in the shoes of the Indian government. Now, India by itself cannot solve Sri Lanka's problem. Sri Lanka needs everybody who it owes debt to, including the IMF and the World Bank, ADC, and all other bilateral partners to come together and extend an arrangement. Individual countries giving an arrangement on a bilateral basis is at best breathing space. And that's what India tried to provide. India could not have gone ahead and restructured all its loans or, you know, given all the money that Sri Lanka wanted. So in that sense, my evaluation is that India gave the aid in time and in sufficient quantity 
for Sri Lanka to get some breathing space in order to approach the IMF and reach an arrangement with the IMF. On the second question about China's involvement, I think Sri Lanka's debt problem had two egregious uh, sins. One is over-dependence on one country, a bilateral partner, China. And the second, as Nirupama mentioned, is the government itself, the sovereign, borrowing in a foreign currency. And China is not a member of the Paris Club, so their uh, lending is, uh, does not conform to the responsibility standards of the Paris Club. And we see the result of that. I understand that much of these loans went into infrastructure projects that are not priority. They've taken too long or underutilized with the result that they has piled up, but there are no revenues to repay for it. So to that extent, China is respons- responsible for loading on debt, irresponsible lending, and now responsible for not coming soon enough to Sri Lanka's aid. In fact, uh, you know, the surging of uh, figures by China, we, I mentioned that a significant proportion of uh, uh, Sri Lanka's debt to China is held by Chinese entities. And the further aspect to be noted is returns on Chinese projects have not added much value to the economy. You just the example of Hambantota is before you. The 99-year lease was concluded without settling the loans owed to China. And uh, they are incurring recurring expenditure for running the port, as you know. So that has been a white elephant. It's a dependency, as you said, as much as there is uh, the debt problem. So the question being, uh, Mr. Subarao, India has taken this step now in the last few months helping Sri Lanka out as nobody else has. In a sense, it then becomes uh, even more responsible to help with its future, if you like. Uh, The question is, are there other alternatives to the IMF that India should be tapping or helping Sri Lanka? Of course, many would ask, should India now be looking uh, to use its own resources in a a regional uh, fashion, uh, or can India do that? Well, uh, we've been struggling with this question for the last 25 years. Countries around the world have been trying to find an alternative to the IMF because of many reasons, because of the concern about IMF conditionalities being too harsh, the concern that IMF conditionalities do not result in long-term structural adjustment. So there's been an anguish, a, a backlash against IMF and the world has been trying to find alternate arrangements. Nothing has proved to be an adequate substitute for the IMF, neither bilateral arrangements or the regional arrangements. By far the most high profile regional arrangement has been a Chiang Mai initiative of uh, East Asian countries. But note this, even the Chiang Mai initiative, after the first tranche of the loan to the travel country, requires an IMF program. So what that proves is that a regional arrangement is dependent on a global arrangement, the IMF arrangement. So I think the world has moved to a situation where the IMF has the credibility and it's an imprimatur that if a country is under an IMF program, external investors, external creditors uh, become confident that they can go back into the country and no other regional or bilateral institution has proved adequate to replace the IMF. And that's why I keep saying that Sri Lanka should have gone to the IMF much sooner so that uh, its confidence levels would not have sunk and they would not have blown up like they have. In fact, uh, one of the alternatives, uh, Suhasini, could have been the G20 f- framework, but you've just you've been in Indonesia. 
But the G20 uh, setup is only a framework. It does not provide any funds. So really speaking, as Subha said, uh, they have to go to the IMF and the IMF deal is going to bite them very hard, bite the people particularly very hard. So I really don't see the bottoming out of this crisis. It's just going to be more pain. And next year, if we were having this conversation, I, I predict that Sri Lanka's problems are going to be even greater when we look at them. I, I, in fact, that was a question I wanted to ask because you have, in a sense, seen uh, the kind of distress up close that comes from this kind of economic problem. Sri Lanka has had a security crisis of great magnitude. It's had political crises again and again, changing of governments. Uh, but most importantly, you've seen up close the kind of distress that follows, the kind of fear of the sort of conditions the IMF is likely to stipulate. Really, do you think, you know, how, how do you think Sri Lanka will be able to cope with even more uh, um, uh, deprivation, if you like, than we have seen in the last few months with all these long queues and power outages? Quite right. In fact, a significant number of families who actually are going to fall into poverty. And I've been referring to in some of my writings about uh, at least 20% of uh, families in Sri Lanka going, uh, having to suffer great shortages. And besides that, the general productivity of the economy has been going down. The problem is Sri Lanka has not built capacity in its economy over the years. They haven't fast-tracked investment. They haven't monetized national resources. They haven't really expedited work on all these fronts. And that is a question of administration and governance. You can't blame the people. But what you're going to see is a lack of jobs, even Sri Lankan businesses trying to relocate themselves to other countries. And what is most worrisome, of course, is that a fertile ground could be provided for extreme left-wing ideologies. And the capacity of the country to ensure its maritime security also suffers. You have a scenario of drugs and arms smuggling staring it in your face. And uh, so in these circumstances, especially for us in India, we have to consider how far we can go uh, to help Sri Lanka. And I don't know if the government has taken that decision as yet. And we must remember that economic and security factors are interlinked in this scenario that we are considering. And uh, as you mentioned, maybe the thrust on India now should be to look at more regionalizing factors when it comes to trade and whether regionalization of the Indian rupee can be of help both to us and our neighbors. Certainly an interesting idea. Um, Mr. Subara, of course, uh, we've heard in the last few weeks from the prime minister uh, speaking about uh, the negative consequences of the freebie culture. Uh, we've also heard external affairs minister talking about a kind of misinformation or misinformed campaign about the possibility of what is happening in Sri Lanka happening in uh, Indian states in particular. And that's what some of the briefing was about, which led to a lot of opposition uh, protests. So the question really being asked is to what extent is uh, the situation in Sri Lanka comparable to Indian states, if not the entire economy? Well, uh, there is some similarity between the situation in Sri Lanka today and the situation some of the Indian states are having towards. But you can't stretch the comparison beyond a point. Where the similarity exists is that fiscal profligacy and fiscal irresponsibility is a tale that will invariably end in tears. Sri Lanka, we discussed uh, in this conversation, 
one of the main causes has been unsustainable and unaffordable populism of tax cuts and subsidies, which had added to the crisis. Some of the Indian states, similarly, are borrowing money and using that money on freebies, what's come to be called freebies, which do not add to productivity or future economic activity or production capacity, but add to current consumption. So they do not support long-term growth. So to that extent, what's happening in Sri Lanka, what's happening or could happen in some of the Indian states is comparable. But beyond that, states in India cannot be compared to Sri Lanka because Sri Lanka is an independent economic entity, whereas states in India are part of a national economic entity. Two important differences, states in India do not have their own balance of payments. They do not have debt denominated in external currency, whereas Sri Lanka has enormous external debt. That's one. And the second is that when it comes to crisis, Sri Lanka can inflate away its domestic debt by printing currency, which is what it did. But states in India cannot print their own currency. So there also uh, there is the similarity. So it's important for us, as the Prime Minister uh, said uh, last week, twice, I believe, to get this into public conversation about whether states and indeed even the centre should continue to spend money like this on transfer payments, freebies, instead of spending on activities, infrastructure, uh, social and physical infrastructure that will support long-term growth and employment generation. So that's a conversation we must be having in the centre and states and all of us together and not adversarial. I don't believe centre and state talk about, talk about this as an adversaries, but collectively as a nation, I think it's important for us to talk about it and agree on some norms. I believe the Supreme Court also has uh, intervened on this issue and commented that there must be some norms about how much can be spent on free peace. It is an intensely political issue and politicians will take umbrage at this, but I believe we have to get it. Right. Particularly as we still come out of the pandemic, we saw the kind of freebies that had to be uh, given out uh, during the lockdowns as well. Uh, Ms. Rao, if I could broaden that question a little bit and ask the comparisons, not just to Indian states, but to other uh, South Asian countries, if you like, have been made. Many wondering which will be the next South Asian state to see the kind of crisis we've seen in Sri Lanka, whether it's Pakistan, uh, countries like Nepal and Bhutan, who have been so dependent on tourism in a sense, uh, other countries like Bangladesh that are building so much infrastructure. Uh, Do you think that there is something, you mentioned the G20, for example, but is there something India should really be preparing for if it is going to be in crisis, in an economic, uh, in an economic trough of its own, but also surrounded by these countries uh, that, as you had pointed out, there's a there's a risk from uh, on security when it comes to India's borders. There's also a risk from the fact that they are becoming dependent on China. Absolutely, absolutely. I think uh, when you look at the neighborhood, a lot has been written about the economic crisis facing Pakistan and Nepal also. And in the case of Nepal, I think we should be looking very hard at Nepal because Nepal is tied to us in so many ways, so many organic ways. But one, I think, redeeming factor as far as Nepal is concerned, and if you were to consider whether it will go down the tube the way Sri Lanka has, perhaps not so much to that extent, 
you must uh, understand i'm sure you do that nepal's currency is pegged to ours and their trade being landlocked they are completely dependent on india so there i suppose uh, india can step in to do much more nepal in many ways uh, is a boat tied to a, a larger boat a larger a ship which is india so in that case i think in that particular context when nepal is concerned you may not see the extent of a crisis of the sort that sri lanka is facing um, that is as far as the neighborhood is concerned um, i think uh, the issue i mentioned about regionalization of the indian rupee should be uh, looked at much more closely i know we want our exports for instance on sri lanka there's been a focus on uh, commodities uh, in and that trade but when it comes to line of lines of credit traditionally we have focused more on giving assistance for projects but in recent months in the face of the crisis our um, lines of credit have really gone to uh, providing commodities to sri lanka as in the case of fuel and uh, natural gas uh, that is going to be something that we will have to uh, continue to stomach i'm afraid given the crisis in the country but if we apply the regionalization of our rupee if we make it possible for us to trade in rupees with sri lanka it will help uh, sri lanka save on hard currency and perhaps also uh, you know the digital interface repayments uh, payments that we have like the bheem platform we can use that in a number of countries in the neighborhood today for instance in nepal and bhutan with sri lanka those discussions have not been able to go forward and i think that is something that could have helped uh, the country also this is uh, this has been a great success for india and i think it can help our neighbors too all right i I'd, i'd like to thank you both for such important and substantive suggestions really for what not just sri lanka can do the region can do and really what the world should be doing as it looks uh, at this crisis unfolding at present uh, mr subaram miss uh, rao i'd like to thank you for joining us on the hindus parley and if you've been listening in thanks so much from the team at him thank you thank you, thank you.